Uh, this is Sonny Bunch. Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I'm very pleased uh, to be joined today by Clayton Childress. Uh, Clayton is an associate professor in the Department of Sociology at uh, the University of Toronto. Um, he studies taste, decision, and meaning-making in the creation, production, and reception of culture. And I'm, I'm, this is going to be a slightly different show than usual. We're not doing a, this isn't really a business of Hollywood piece, though I think taste creation does get into very important aspects of the business of Hollywood. Um, but I, I wanted to have Clayton on because I read a paper that he co-authored, uh, and it is it's very very interesting. It's called "Genres, Objects, and the Contemporary Expression of Higher Status Tastes," um, and specifically what the what the paper is looking at. I, I'm just going to read a couple lines here from the intro, and then I'll let uh, I'll let uh, Clayton here uh, just get into it and and explain it a little more. But here's here's here are a couple lines from the intro. Uh, some recent work has sought to resolve uh, this debate by suggesting that status today increases the likelihood of using cultural objects in both exclusive and inclusive ways. Uh, that is, higher status individuals draw on discourses that are both inclusive, anti-snobbish, non-hierarchical, cosmopolitan, etc and exclusive, rarefied, distinctive, educated, etc. Um, thus, higher status tastes today appear to be a paradoxical mix of inclusivity and exclusivity. And this this jumped out to me as somebody who spends a lot of time <laughs> on film Twitter. All right, I spent a lot of time on film Twitter, listening to people and talking to people. And what you see is almost exactly this. You see people who will never say that a genre should be excluded. Every genre is good. There are good horror movies. There are good drama movies. There are good comic book movies. But not all of these movies are good, and some of them are, in fact, bad. And you have to kind of understand the code of what is good and what is bad to really fit in with the crowd. Is that basically what you guys found? And and let, let's talk a little bit about how you guys uh, started writing this. How did this whole thing come about? Sure. So this uh, whole thing came about when... Uh, so uh, I co-authored this paper with uh, Sean Bowman and Jean-Francois Nault at University of Toronto and Craig Rawlings at Duke. Uh, and it started out... Uh, in sociology, there's been these kind of two waves. Sociologists are interested in taste uh, and culture because uh, most of taste matters to people. Taste matters for outcomes. Uh, you know, like cultural matching happens and like who gets hired, right? Particularly in creative industries and in media industries and uh, in, like homogamy and marriage markets, right? In dating, uh, people form friendships through their tastes. Uh, so, you know, if sociology um, sometimes or more often than not is studying inequality, like we're interested in taste because taste uh, can like generate inequality or like reinforce different types of inequality. Um, so uh, there was this transition uh, where... Uh, people, it seemed, used to uh, be snobbish, right? So it's like, what did, quote unquote, good taste mean? And that was uh, opera, right? That was classical music, that mm -hmm. was uh, playing polo, uh, all the stuff that Vanity Fair used to make fun of, but also kind of imbibe very deeply, right? That uh, um, that type of culture. And uh, then there was this uh, seemingly transition to uh, cultural openness, what sociologists called like omnivorousness, right? Or like, uh, you know, Brooks, Bobos, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Was the more popular term. Um, and, uh, so for a long time, sociologists were like, oh, well, there used to be snobs and like, it's been so long since there were traditional snobs, right? Mm -hmm. Like in eighties comedies, the snob was the villain, right? Mm -hmm. Because for 40 years, we've been making fun of snobs, right? Um, so, uh, this transition to like cultural openness. And, and one of the questions that we had, the thing that didn't make sense is like, how, do you exclude or how do you um, like maintain status by just liking everything? 
right? It's sure. like, oh, it, sure. it, it's just not that plausible as a thing. Um, and that uh, the way that sociologists study this, uh, Richard Peterson, um, traditionally there's not a lot of good national level survey data. The government's not collecting data on like who likes happy days. <laughs> right. Uh, they don't like, you know, it's it's like more like questions about like political polarization ends up on the GSS. Right. Sure. Not like, do you like Antiques Roadshow or Pawn Stars, which are the same show. Sure. Right. They're just like <laughs> different uh, levels of consecration. It's literally the same show. It's just one is yeah. uh, culturally respected among elites and the other is not. Um, so like you don't have that type of survey data. So um, all of this was done. Sorry for this long answer uh, with music genres. Right. And it was like, of, you know, these 20 music genres, how many do you like? And the finding was that like higher people with more education, people um, in higher status occupations, right? Uh, people who uh, have uh, parents who went to college over time were starting to say they liked more music genres. Maybe they did it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, I am the type of person who would say I like salsa. And you're like, oh, what's your favorite sure. salsa song? Like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but this is the type of person I am. Uh, so we started from this place of really saying, um, when people say they like salsa, when people say they like country music, do they mean Hank Williams or do they mean Hank Williams Jr.? Because those are mm -hmm. two incredibly different statements, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my uh, freshman year college roommate, we got paired together because we both said we like rap music. And I walk in and he's a juggalo, like not kidding. He's like dressed <laughs> in, and I'm, it's, uh, can I curse? Uh, yeah, like, uh, sure, sure. Oh, and he, I was just like, oh shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, right. So there is both like hierarchies uh, across genres and hierarchies within genres, which I think is uh, your observation as well. So it's like, how do we study that? How do we study that in a way that keeps our finger off the scale? Right. Because yeah. um, usually with this stuff, uh, it's really hard to keep your finger off the scale. How do you? Uh, well, how do you do that then? How do you? How do you? Uh, I mean, I, 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 if you, if you come to somebody and say, "Are you a juggalo?" A, they probably won't know what you mean because yeah. it's, it's still kind of a micro culture. But, yes. but also, they, they would probably be like, "No, I'm not." That sounds terrible. What does that? What does that even mean? Uh, so, how do you do that? How do you? How do you actually commission? How do you structure a study like this to make it clear that you are not looking for a specific answer? Yeah, you know, I mean, so a lot of it is uh, it's how do you? So in the paper we use um, high, medium, and low consecration to talk about different cultures, right? Which is, you know, in the, the regular term is like high brow, middle brow, low brow, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Uh, but uh, what that is, the way so uh, the way that people have done this is, uh, you know, they use the pornography definition. They're like, oh, you know, you know it when you see it, right? Like everybody knows mm -hmm. that like Kendrick Lamar is like high brow for rap music, so that's fine. Um, and that uh, has fingerprints all over the scale, right? <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Particularly mm -hmm. with things like cultural taste, because I, I think... Um, many of us, myself included, um, I, 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 I will be self-critical here. I assume that my tastes are objectively correct. Sure. And everybody else is just wrong, right? And sure. it's like, hey, you might think you like Inside. You might like, think you like this Bo Burnham special. But like, if you want like meta reference, like narrative comedy, like Maria Bamford's where to go. Like that's, that's mm -hmm. right. <laughs> really, guys. Like, sure. uh, but the world disagrees with me. So, and so I'm not objectively right. That's just taste. Um, so like, you don't want to have your finger on the scale like that. Um, people also have measured this tautologically, right? So, um, it's self-referential. Well, it's like high status culture is whatever high status people likes full stop. This is easy. easy. This is right. Clean, right. Um, and that has the same problem. There's some truth to that. Right. Um, you know, so a lot of stuff that like becomes culturally elevated is, you know, it's like, Whatever teenagers who ended up going to college liked in their teenage years, 30 years down the line, are probably yeah. going to be, you know, are probably going to be cultural. Like Bob Dylan will win a Pulitzer sure. eventually, right? It's going to happen. Yeah. Or it did happen, right? right? But like, uh, you know, as long as like teenagers who were going to college were listening to Bob Dylan, that was like 
you know, destined to happen. Like what I think about Maria Vampire doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Because like young people and critics have decided that Inside is like a very important special, right? Right. Um, so, you know, that process has already happened. But uh, so the way we did this was um, we wanted to triangulate. So we took, um, you know, so consecration really can happen through three ways. It can happen uh, like general people just decide this thing is good, right? Peers, Right. So uh, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, like I'm a musician and other musicians like really think that I know what I'm doing. Right. In a particular genre uh, and critics also. So uh, we uh, scraped basically all of Metacritic. Um, we uh, looked at uh, Emmy. Uh, so we did this all for uh, music, for movies and for television. We looked at um, Emmys, Grammys and Oscar wins and nominations for the major categories. Uh, and then we ran a pretest uh, survey with just 500 respondents. It's like, like, hey, don't tell us what you like. But like, what do you think is artistically respected, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I don't care if you like Joe Dirt or not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is Annie Hall artistically respected, right? Right. Um, so we did that for like hundreds of things, just hundreds of items, and then we uh, selected items across uh, like five music genres, five movie genres, five television genres uh, that had really clear cut points that like triangulated across those things. Like, it's like the five hundred people, the critics. And the peers agree that this thing has like been consecrated as being worthy or of being like mm-hmm. a, a deeper importer meaning. Sure. Well, let me let me ask, why is the tautology wrong? I mean, I, if you were if you're looking at if you're in a situation where you're looking at what higher status people defined as people who make a certain amount of money, uh, who who are working in certain industries and in certain positions, um, if if that is what they like and what people like is what is kind of used to create these bonds to help get jobs and that sort of thing. Why is the tautology wrong? It's it, it's not wrong. It's uh, okay. but it's it, it's like squishing history, you know, because we're not doing a longitudinal study. We just run one survey, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like squishing this like long dynamic historical process into a snapshot, right? Okay. Uh, so that's kind of the challenge there. Um, and it's also you know um, the problem with it is I. It's kind of unconvincing to say, and now if I need to make the argument, if we need to make the argument, it's like, look, the way that high status people taste have changed. So we just like ask high status people like how they taste and like, look, like this is the way it has changed. I mean, it, it's kind of, but like not really. We can't look at independent effects. We can't, you know, one of the big things that's happening in this paper is, uh, so, you know, we say that like, hey, you know, so it's like people convey their status by being very open at the level of genres. Right. Being very culturally open, like, hey, horror movies can be great. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I'm not a snob, you know, horror movies mm-hmm. can be awesome. You know, like I like comedies. I even like reality TV. It just has to be the right reality <laughs> TV. Right. Sure. I mean, by reality TV, I mean this reality TV, not this reality TV. Right. Mm. So um, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of uh, from like an empirical sociological perspective. It's like pre-testing all of this stuff and asking two different groups of people. Right. Asking group A, like, hey, what's respected? And then asking group B, hey, what do you like? We know it's respected mm-hmm. already, right? But uh, it's it's just really trying to keep our fingers off the scale on that. Yeah. I uh, I mean, it, it, do you do you find a certain sort of snobbishness in the openness? I mean, is it is it a is it now a marker of being a high class, high status individual that you say, I, I like all genres except for new metal. I'm not going to, yeah. you know, I'm not going to throw corn in, but <laughs> I'll listen to I'll listen to Rage Against the Machine or, you know, yeah. uh, Kendrick Lamar or, or, or someone else. Or is is that just 
I, I mean, is that is that basically what's happening here? Yeah, I think so. So there, you know, there's two things going on. Um, so it's, um, you know, so in Peterson's work, it's, you know, it's the juxtaposition of an omnivore, somebody who's culturally open. It's not a snob; it's a univore, right? Mm-hmm. It's somebody that's like, I only like anime, and you're like, well, do you want them? no anime, right? <laughs> or you know, uh, and you're just like, oh my god. Um, so you know, it's like <laughs> being a univore, right? Like. Uh, is not it's not so much it, it doesn't convey um like cosmopolitanism or like democracy or like cultural openness right um mm-hmm. in that same way uh you know so that's that's part of what's going on um and the other part here that's kind of going on is that once you do that you then have to have like some some standards right mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. it, it, it's conveying that you're not a rube also Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, like, imagine a univore who says, like, I only like classical music. And by classical music, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Mozart, Beethoven, John Tesh. Like, I just <laughs> like it all. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So Liberace. Liberace. Right. right? So it's like yeah. totally undiscerning. Right. And this is like sure. kind of like faux sophisticated. Right. Okay. Uh, so it is. And, you know, so uh, and part of the question here is like, uh, are people. Do people of like lower cultural capital or lower status are they trying to like emulate the tastes? Or are they trying to like sneak in, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is this like exclusionary in that way, or do people, um, you know? And then that's like this. That's like the Veblen track, right? Is like people like the higher status people are like changing their tastes all the time because they need to stay one step ahead, right? And mm-hmm. like this weird thing of like, well, you do this with genres and this with objects, it becomes more like a Rubik's cube, right? You need to turn it this way, this way, and then over on this other side, you turn it this way, so it's harder to emulate. Right. It's more subtle. Um, yeah. And the other, th- you know, and the other way to uh, the other approach to this is kind of a more Borduzian approach where um, it, it's, it's called the misrecognition approach. Right. Where okay. uh, people say like, oh, like, no, those people are snobs. I like two and a half men. They're so annoying. They need to shut up. Right. OK. All right. Well, so which which do you think it is then? Which, which what do you think is actually happening here? Uh, looking at the data that you have you've uh, kind of compiled here, which, which, uh, approach are we, are we more comfortable with saying is, is what's happening? Okay. So I, um, (laughs) (laughs) I cannot answer that question with, Ah, like, I I cannot, um, you know, I, I, um, there's stuff I can answer, but, uh, not that one. I can say that like in the pre-testing, um, just looking at like education levels and like childhood arts exposure, because we can also tease these out. Right. So we know that like openness about genres is like what's really driving that more so is like, um, quite frankly, having like parents who went to college um, Mm -hmm. and like child parents who exposed people to the arts as kids. Mm -hmm. Right. So that like makes you open about genres. And then years of uh, years of education ratchets up distinction. Right. About like particular shows and musicians and stuff. And that's like ratcheting up this other side of it, of this configuration. Right. So it's like kind of these two things. So this is it's these two things together. Right. So it's like, oh, not only like did I go to college, but my parents went to college, too. And that gets me to play on both sides of this. Right. Mm -hmm. So like we can talk about that. Like uh, we also know that like for people's um, people who are like very, very uh, open about genres have a lot of weak ties, a lot of acquaintances across across the occupational status spectrum. Right. Hmm. Um, people who are uh, snobby about objects, like snobby about particular, um, you know, movies or particular uh, musicians or particular shows, uh, they tend to have more uh, strong ties with high status people. 
right? People with very okay. like high occupation jobs, uh, people who have both have both, right? Um, and, and, okay. so, and like, this is useful, right? So it's like, oh, like, you know, when I need to like uh, get my kid the unpaid publishing internship, I have that friend, right? Um, and like, right. when I need to like, uh, you know, I like, I have a cool plumber who like, uh, doesn't think I'm a total asshole who will like come to my house on the weekend. Sure. Right. That's sure. Like sure. That's kind of, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Bobos, the bourgeois yeah, yeah. bohemians, uh, and and I, I I'm I'm glad you did because I I don't know if you have had a chance to read uh, David Brooks's new piece in the Atlantic oh, sure, about yeah. uh, that is that is kind of about uh, the, the 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 Bobo thing and kind of the current moment. I love his generational anthropology. Everyone should read the piece. I'm not going to summarize the whole thing right now, but there isn't. There's a very interesting part in it when he's talking about um, uh, essentially how how to navigate social systems that don't have clearly delineated markers. So, you know, if, uh, what, does, what does it mean to casually dress for work? You know, when, when, you, when you are, a, when you are a, a, a higher class, higher status person, casually dressing for work means a different thing than when you are uh, uh, unfamiliar with the milieu, when you don't know, you know, if showing up in a t-shirt is okay or showing up in, uh, you know, a, 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 a Oxford without a tie or if we're talking about, you know, linens i like it just it, it it is very difficult to navigate that um and that is true in the arts as well i mean it's it is a function of you know it is not enough to say i like everything it is it is saying i like everything but also specifically these things within everything um how how uh, first off do you th do you think brooks more or less gets this right um and how does this uh, kind of impact how actual workplace uh, relationships and environments work i mean it 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 is exclusive in a weirdly inclusive way, which is feels paradoxical, but it, here we are. Sure. Um, you know, so I think that uh, in terms of Brooks, um, I think um, there's I, the piece of uh, the Brooks uh, article I didn't respond to is that nothing struck me as uh, particularly new about what he mm -hmm. was talking about. Right. Um, and that like, you can go back, you know, so like, uh, Paul DiMaggio is a sociologist has a very famous article on like the creation of highbrow culture in 19th century Boston. Right. Mm -hmm. And like Boston Brahmins, uh, saying like, man, like there really are a lot of Irish and Italian people around and they like <laughs> really are starting to like advocate for things they want. Like we can't have this. And they became like institutional entrepreneurs and created museums to like celebrate and institutionalize like what quote unquote good culture is. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So that like that was like a political moment and like a cultural like separation of this like very subtle thing. Right. Um, so I don't think that's a new phenomenon. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I also like don't uh, we don't have uh, just because Brooks is writing right now. Everything is like has to go through the meat grinder of political polarization right? sure, to get sure. out the other side. It's just yeah. the way it is. Like I don't. um our data would suggest that this has a lot more to do with, you know, these like uh, workhorse variables in sociology, childhood arts exposure, right? Education level mm -hmm. than it does like uh, political balances, right? Uh, so okay. I'm not sure about that. In terms of like workplaces, um, absolutely. So um, what, uh, so this is Lauren Rivera's work on uh, cultural matching and she studies uh, like elite investment firms and law firms, right? Um, and it really is uh, a sorting process of like who fits in, right? These are jobs where people are going to be in, you know, you're working long hours, you're working face to face, right? Uh, it's uh, like who's going to fit in here? Who's going to stay here? 
right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so and these different firms like have they have different cultural archetypes, right? You know, so it's like, oh, like we're not just the law firm, we're the jock law firm, right? Okay. We're like, hey, we're not just a video company, we're Blizzard. <laughs> Right. Um, So like, uh, like if you think it's super funny to be horrible to people, like we (laughs) are hiring, right? Like this is who we are. This is our essence. Right. Um, so, uh, that, that, um, that can result in it that, you know, you can do this for timing thing. It doesn't have, as long as there is an equal distribution of cultural archetypes, as there are people applying for jobs. Like, you know, you take this like economist, like wildly rational market, right? Perfectly hiring market. It doesn't necessarily have to result in inequality, but um, mm-hmm. to the degree that, um, that's not the case. Right. Um, and there's like selection effects into industries, like not fitting that archetype. Um, makes it hard to get into an industry, you know, so yeah. you can find that in a workplace, right? So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I have a paper on um, really a cultural matching with objects using uh, acquisition editors. It's data with acquisition editors and literary agents, right? Um, you know, and it's, you know, uh, what is it? One in three literary agents in the United States is a white woman who lives in New York. Mm-hmm. Right. That sounds about right. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> sure. uh, and, and by no surprise, uh, there's a lot of literary fiction about main characters who live in Brooklyn. Wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Who would have guessed? Yeah. Right? The, like people just have an affinity for that thing. That, that doesn't involve right. animus. It's just it's it's like oh I get this. Right? This yeah. is like they capture it so well. Like that's my coffee shop. I get it. I love it. Right? So that thing. Can yeah. Be. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the literary world in particular is is slightly weird because it's so small. I mean, like the the um, the number of things that you have to sell to be a success in the literary world is very is very small compared to say movies or music uh, or or anything else, which is another kind of interesting little artifact. Absolutely, of that. the investments are small, right? There's yeah. you know there's three hundred thousand books published by major publishers in the United States a year. This is not, you know, so you don't have um, the thing that you had in the movie uh, in the movie industry, right? That like has kind of given up its will to live beyond making uh, would be blockbusters, right? Uh, yeah. you, know, you can publish, you know, uh, like Random House can publish a book, you know, for ten thousand bucks, like, right? Uh, and they can right. make twenty and be happy. Right, 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 right. right. It's not fun as an author when you're like, hey, can I get yeah. some promo? And they're like, do what you can. No, <laughs> that's not what we do. We're, we're a distributor. You got a Twitter feed, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I let's. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how comfortable you are talking about this, or if you have any any grand thoughts here. But I am co- kind of interested because this is a business of Hollywood show to 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 get your pick your brain on how you think all of this kind of influences how movies are marketed, how they're sold. Um, you know, when you when you see when you see something like a high consecration list that includes things like hereditary, right. Or, or midsummer, you know, basically the a 24 horror yeah. films. <laughs> and then you have kind of a, on the lower end of, of, of the spectrum, you have, you know, more jump scare, uh, is insidious saw, whatever. Um, uh, how, how does that kind of impact how these things are sold to people? How, uh, folks decide, you know, what to go watch. Um, and, and if, Hollywood is actually like taking any of this into account. I am, I'm sure they are on some level, but if there's any sort of rigorous way that they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, so I think part of it is uh, historically, it has not always been the case that uh, perceived quality and sales aren't the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like sure. through most of history, those were the same things. This is uh, Ted Underwood's book, uh, Distant Horizons. He's using natural language processing to look at like literary history going back 300 years. He's like, hey, so like, this weird thing happened. 
where uh, perceived quality and sales diverged. And we are like mm-hmm. living at uh, what might be the tail end of that moment, right? Because um, you have like, it's um, all the Marvel movies are very well reviewed for the most part, mm-hmm. right? Yes, uh, right. You know, so, you know, that uh, like Pauline Kale era is like very much over, right? Yeah. Um, you know, even the Ebert, uh, you know, he was this kind of transitionary figure, but that like moment is kind of over. Um, I think, um, you know, this is Gabriel Rossman's work, but uh, to the degree that, people that public stop caring about awards Mm -hmm. i think it will be harder to make um things that people in the industry like or like that people in the industry think are good right you know so it's the old Mm -hmm. like hollywood thing of like uh you know one for them one for me right so you know Mm -hmm. i'll I'll make the marvel movie and then i'll do my passion project right um so it's like it'll be harder to get passion projects made if uh to the degree that audiences aren't reactive aren't watching the oscars don't care you know it's like uh, and it's like, oh, okay, you know. So it's like Moonlight and Parasite. Uh, people are into those, but like those movies wouldn't. This is they wouldn't make money without winning awards, right? Yeah, uh, like they yeah, yeah. really well, drive the day. Well, and and Gabriel's work is interesting too because it it finds a relatively clear correlation between Oscar nominations and box office revenue. That yeah. if you look at if you look at uh, a movie that if you look at an award season movie that comes out in December but does not get nominated for anything, the box office potential falls off a cliff compared Absolutely. to something that gets. <laughs> um, it, which is interesting, but I do I do think I mean I think you're right though. Like if we are if we are in a situation, and I think the ratings data kind of confirms this that folks don't care that much about awards anymore um certainly outside of uh you know new york and la uh i what you know what does that actually mean for the quality of the films that we're going to end up seeing yeah and television too right like if critics can't drive people to hacks right uh if they're unable mm-hmm. to like you know and, and like we have watched this moment of like crit- recent of critics and and uh uh award shows like trying to funnel people to hacks Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything's like very fragmented and like full disclosure. I think Hacks is a wonderful show. I think it's really good. It's very good. Yeah. Two thumbs up over here as well. Yeah. Because um, we have good taste. But of course. <laughs> but uh, if critics can't do that, right, it, it becomes harder to make Hacks because uh, for uh, things that the industry itself perceives as quality, um, it's like critics and works serve the function of saying, like, hey, guys, like, we know that, like, you will watch any Spider-Man we throw out there, but like, please <laughs> check out this one too. Yeah. Right? Like we'd really appreciate yeah, yeah. it if you'd watch this, you know, intimate dramedy, you know, yeah. about like two women uh, learning how to love again in an occupational role. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, everyone should see hacks. If you're listening to this and you haven't watched hacks it's on HBO max, go, go watch it. It's very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it, the, the, the role of the critic uh, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this for purely selfish reasons, um, obviously, but yeah. the, uh, but, but, you know, I, 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 part of me wonders in, in the war, in the age of aggregation and in the age when those aggregators are so diluted with so many voices from so many kind of, uh, you know, look, there's something, there's something positive to be said about, an increased number and diversity of voices and perspectives. Um, But there is also something negative to be said about the fact that uh, more or less everything gets a pass at a certain level. Um, uh, It's, it's a real problem. And I don't know, I, I don't know. 
exactly what to make of it, which which kind of brings me back to the, the question of high consecration versus middle consecration and low consecration. Sure. I mean, if if it, I, I noticed that you used Metacritic and not Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm curious what the reason for that was beyond the fact that you get a slightly better gradation on Metacritic in terms of like something gets a 10 versus a 30 as opposed to like just thumbs up and thumbs down. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it, uh, unfortunately, it's the boring answer of uh, it, it, the uh, Metacritic uh, has been much more stable over time in terms of like how those ratings are made. Like who counts is a reviewer, right? Isn't mm-hmm. you know, so like uh, Rotten Tomatoes has this like opening of the floodgates. Rotten Tomatoes is also, you know, I mean, the score is, you know, uh, if if ninety nine percent of people think something is a fifty one on a hundred point scale, it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Uh, so right, you do right. get that spread. You don't. Uh, it's 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 a gradation. Um, and, you know, and it's it's not a perfect measure, but uh, you know, uh, we just thought it was a better measure. And you know, and again, we're like triangulating all this stuff. So it's like really, um, and, and there's an argument for like things that we're missing because we're doing that, right? We're totally missing ironic consumption of like low mm-hmm. consequence. You know, so like one of the things. Uh, uh, I, I'm very remiss to admit this, but um, like uh, uh, people had a lot of fun with uh, the table showing the uh, cases we're using on Twitter, right, for this paper, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, people are like, "This isn't highbrow." It, it's, and suspiciously, wildly suspiciously, it's only for rock music, right? Um, yes. So in the history of rockism, um, is alive yes. and well. Don't worry. Like rock music hasn't been popular music for 15 years. Don't tell them. But yeah. rockism is like very alive and well. Uh, and you see this like even balancing of like ironic consumption also, where it's like, that's not highbrow. Everybody knows that's trash. I'm high ed. Can't you tell? But like, don't worry. I also love Britney Spears. I'm like, okay. Sure. Sure, like, sure, sure. Balancing act, bro. That's fine. Like, well, well, I, I did want to, I did want to ask about the Twitter reaction a little bit because yeah. there, there were, I, 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 you know, again, I spent a lot of time on film Twitter. There's a lot yeah. of irony bros in my feed. Totally. I am often, frequently one of them. You know, I can, I, but, but when, when I saw people kind of sneering at like you two being included in high consecration, yeah. uh, I, I was like, well, I mean, okay, it's not, it is not the preferred uh, band of. Twitter. I'm like happy to admit that. No. But like I, I, I could I can I can imagine if I went into a boardroom or, uh, you know, somewhere else that the the kind of prevailing uh, notion amongst the 40 to 50 something, 60 something set is going to be like, you know, what's a good album? Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree is a good album. And I still listen to, uh, you know, I listen to Where the Streets Have No Name. And, you know, the, you know, even, even, even their later stuff like uh, Elevation, you know, it's great. It's, and I can like, I can, I can, I can see that, which, which, which kind of gets to the point that all cultures are different. We're, we're, we're looking at like people on Twitter trying to translate that experience to other, milieus does not work or make sense yeah yeah you know and part of it too yeah so i mean it was funny to me because i don't i joshua tree is the u2 album i've heard of i've like never listened to rock in my i just you know so it's like this guy he yeah. thinks u2 and i was like i don't think anything yeah. about u2 i yeah. think they did a super bowl once i'm not yeah. too sure and that's like literally i do think they did a super bowl um but uh, like i you know um and you know i don't uh jean francois one of our co-authors uh like listens to metal i'm pretty sure but like mm-hmm. i don't think is listening to this stuff either you know uh one of and, and i think one of the things that's happening here is, you know so part of it, it the most um if is being generous as I am to myself, right? It's like, nah, I'm calling you out. You just have a lot of education and you're a raucous yeah. bro and you need me to know. Um, another way to look at this is like, we are 
in terms of uh, conveying one's uh, self through taste. So, you know, and Bordeaux makes this point too. It's like, there's something weird and special about music and identity, right? Mm-hmm. In a way, mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, so it's like film Twitter is like, you kind of have these people who are like doing the thing with film that like a lot of everyday people do with music, right? Yeah, um, for sure. Um, but like, there is this like weird affinity or connection that people have with music in a way that like, uh, they feel like it expresses their soul in a way that like, you know, well, my favorite TV show, you know, it's like, I'm just a Seinfeld guy, right? You don't really get that that same way. Um, but uh, to legitimize something that I think a criticism that uh, we got, um, we're only looking at the most popular stuff, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, how do you, you know, because part of this is like to, um, if you have, um, you can have the very popular things and like that's one valence by which people can express their tastes or their status. People can also express their tastes by liking really obscure stuff, right? And it's saying like, oh, you only like popular stuff. That's an entirely different indice, right? That's, you know, yeah. so, you know, I can say like, oh, Kendrick Lamar is, and we don't want to mix those two different things up, right? Um, it also doesn't work in a survey context. Right. You know, we're like, yeah. oh, you like Kendrick Lamar. Well, like personally, I like Dave B. He's from Renton, Washington. You probably haven't heard of him. Right. But he's like uh, he's really who you should be listening to. That doesn't work in the survey context. And it's really an entirely different thing. So it's like the yeah. thing that uh, one of the ways that we selected cases was just like, what has everybody heard of? Right. Like uh, because uh, from like the conversion value of obscure culture um, or things that not everybody knows, it doesn't work the same way. Right. Yeah. So it's like we we really wanted it's like, hey, just the stuff that everybody's heard of. Right. Um, yeah. And what you do is that like a like really like a really big rock fan, almost by definition, the stuff that everybody's heard of is kind of not as legitimate. Right. 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 Like that yeah. I have heard of you two and I don't like rock music is in itself makes you too suspicious. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I was I, I mentioned before the show started, but I I had I had I was writing a piece on Nicolas Cage. Okay. And I the way I had the way I had actually like come kind of come to the idea of this essay was in the world of Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage is a genre unto himself. He made he's made like 30 movies over the last four years. He's has made he really? an insane number of movies. It's, I, I think that's a slight exaggeration, no, but like 25. He's been making 25. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, well, so this, so this is the problem, right? That yeah. it's like, you know, but, but, the, uh, but the idea of this piece was you basically have like, you have your high consecration Nicolas Cage movies like Pig, which is in theaters now, everyone's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, a movie that came out a couple years ago called Mandy. There was one called Joe. These are, these are like high, these are movies that are critically acclaimed and he has gotten a lot of praise for. Um, but aren't necessarily super popular unless you're with working within the like kind of film Twitter milieu. And then he's made a lot of VOD crap. He's made a lot mm-hmm. of really bad VOD movies. And those would be like the undiscriminating Nicolas Cage fan would would be a fan of all those. I ended up not using this for the piece. Uh, I just mentioned it because I, I do think that this idea has really I think it has a lot of um, applications outside of the the kind of broader social level uh uh construct i think any any subculture that you are in will have a version of this for whatever you and your friends like whether it's collectible card games or board games or video games or you know even like 
I like college caliber light beers. There's going to be like the guy who's like, oh yeah, Keystone Light. That's my that's my jam. And you know, somebody else is going to be like, you you terrible person. I, I just think <laughs> it, I think it's very it's very interesting. I'm rambling now. I don't like to do that. Uh, I, I, that was everything I wanted to ask. What what should I? I always like to end these shows by asking what I should have asked. What uh, you think people should know about this study or about taste formation in general that will help them understand. Uh, what what you guys are getting at in this study? Sure, I, I will use my time to respond to what you just said, if you don't mind. Okay, which okay. is uh, so you've done a great job. Um, you know, so I do think uh, one of the things you're kind of getting at is you know the way that we've always talked about this is it's like we think of uh, you know a genre is you know this is like the level of categories they're kind of like vague they're kind of open you know like objects we're talking about like individual artists individual movies individual shows right so it's uh and people are more discerning about the object level but that's not you can go farther down right you can drill down and like uh with greater levels of specificity we can't test this right i would believe mm-hmm. i would predict right that like uh it, let's just say like a conversation you know like dinner party right it's like oh what kind of music do you like or you know what kind of like movies do you like oh i like all kind of movies oh like did you see uh this you know horror movie right did, oh like a24 do you like this it's like oh yeah i like this oh which one right what's your favorite mm-hmm. a24 movie oh okay and then so you could drill down or like oh you know oh oh you like tom waits which tom waits album do you like you know, it's like, oh, yeah. I like big time. Oh, do you like 16 shells? Is that like, because, uh, you know, I've always preferred the uh, recorded version to the live version that's on big time, right? And it's like, oh, well, no, act, right? And then you drill down and you say, yeah, well, later Tom Way. It's like post mule variation. It gets kind of derivative. <laughs> and then you get to like different like levels of the career, right? And it's like, but did you know that like Tom Waits has released a couple books of poetry? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, let's get married. Right. Um, then, like, you eventually get all the way down. So uh, we are like, well, it's either let's get married or I hate you. Exactly. You, you have answered incorrectly. Right. And now we are enemies forever. There are there are off ramps at each level of the drill down. Right. Uh, this is uh, what is it? It's the old um, it's an old Emo Phillips joke. Uh, about like Christianity, a different section. Division, uh, yeah. In any case. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you very much uh, for being on the show, Clayton. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll include a link to the uh, to the study in the email that goes out with this. So if you if you want to read it, it's it's pretty readable. Down before you, until you get to the charts, and when once you get to the charts, that's, uh, that's I'm not a I'm not a uh, a, a no, I don't mean the actual charts with the high consecration and I mean the actual numbers. Yeah. I'm like uh, I'm not a numbers guy. That's okay. not me. But it's a very very readable study. Everyone should check it out. Um, and we will be back with another episode of the show next week. See you guys then. Thank you.